Well, last fall in our church, we started a series that was taking us through the book of Romans, a series called Unashamed of the Gospel. And we made it through the first four chapters, but then needed to kind of call time out and focus on some other things. And I'm happy to say that we're picking that series up again. We're starting uh, uh, this fall with the next four chapters of Romans, chapters 5 through chapter 8. And uh, today we're looking at uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which was the text that you just heard, of course. So before we dive in for the sermon, uh, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Lord, we bless you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us in the past through, through prophets. Thank you that you spoke very clearly to us by sending Jesus, uh, your word, become flesh. Uh, thank you that you came to dwell among us to reveal who you are and what you're like. God, thank you that you continue to speak through your word, the scripture. Thank you that you continue to speak to us by your spirit. Uh, pour out your spirit on us now and speak again. Uh, we're listening. Thank you, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have a credit card, you get a statement every month and uh, has all the transactions on it. And, it, you know, if you're like me, every once in a while you buy something and end up returning it. Uh, in the next month, you know, you buy it one month, get your statement, then you return it the next month. So in, in that month's statement, when you return it, when you get your, your bill, you get statement credit, right? There's a, there's a refund on your, on your account. Um, and and um, that, that, that credit reduces the total amount that you owe. As we're picking up this series in Romans again, we're, we're kind of picking up halfway through the letter at the beginning of chapter 5, and the passage we just heard today begins with the word, therefore, uh, which means what's coming next is built on what was just said. So to understand chapter 5, we need to kind of rewind for a quick moment and think about chapter 4 again. Uh, now, chapter 4 in Romans is all about Abraham and how he believed God and came into a right relationship with God. Now, even some Christians have the faulty understanding that people in the Old Testament, you know, before Jesus' time, came into a right relationship with God uh, by obeying the law, by, by being good, by behaving appropriately and doing all the right things. And in chapter 4 of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, no, that is, that is not the way it is. Uh, and he points to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And he actually quotes this in Romans 4. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, now the reason this is so important is that, that this idea gets to the very heart of uh, the gospel of Jesus, of what Christians believe about what Jesus has done uh, for people. Now, back in 2012, there was a pastor named Matt Chandler down in Dallas. He leads a, a, a very large church, a mega church called The Village. And he wrote a book titled The Explicit Gospel. And I, I know if you've been around Fifth, you've heard me refer to this. The content of the book, at least for me, was nothing really new. But the premise that caused him to write the book, I found fascinating. And what caused him to write this book was... Uh, in their church, when you become a member of the church, there's an opportunity for people to tell their story in, in a kind of a medium-sized public setting. And he would sit there and listen to people telling their stories as they were coming to membership. And time and time again, people would say, I grew up in the church, but I never heard the gospel. 
And, and what they meant by that is they, they grew up in the church and their fundamental understanding was that when they accepted Jesus, when they received Christ, they understood that Jesus forgave them for everything that they had done wrong up to that point. But they felt this tremendous pressure that it was completely up to them to keep themselves clean and presentable to God now and moving into the future. And the problem is, that's an incorrect understanding of the gospel. That is not what Christians really believe. That's not the message we received from the apostles, you know, the people who were eyewitnesses of everything that Jesus said and did. Now, now this might be new to you if you didn't participate in the Roman series last fall, but for those who did, re remember the definition of the word righteousness. It, it doesn't refer primarily to what we do. It has some connotations and be behaviors can be righteous, but righteousness is the state of being in proper relationship with God. And the only way anybody from any time, anywhere in the world, has come into a right relationship with God has been by God crediting their faith in him to them as righteousness or as a, a proper relationship with him, with, with God. Uh, God gave Abraham statement credit. You know, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness, as a proper relationship with God. I mean, that's the gospel. Uh, through faith in Jesus, God gives us statement credit. And can you imagine that, getting your credit card statement and in that little refund section, that credit section, uh, you see the credit, proper relationship with God forever. Right? It's a credit that doesn't just cover this month's charges. It covers all of the charges that will ever be incurred in the future on, on your card. Now, now, that reality, that understanding of the gospel has implications because then one could conclude, well, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what I do. I, I, could, I could sin or do things I know to be wrong, and it wouldn't matter because I'm covered. And in the New Testament, there's quite an extensive conversation about that. And, and the apostles say, no, that's not the way this works. But the very fact that there's a conversation about the ethics reveal that this understanding of how righteousness is transferred to us really was the message they were communicating. It was the message of Jesus that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, God declares us to be in proper relationship with him. That's the heart of the gospel. Uh, so much so that, that Paul concludes chapter four with, with this line. The words, it was credited to him were written not for him, Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I mean, that's the big deal. In Jesus, God wants to give us a renewed relationship with him that's perfect and unblemished in every way. And it's all God's doing. And that's what's uh, so, so amazing about the message of Jesus. That's what's, what makes this good news. So that's all the context, that, that crediting of righteousness to us by grace and through faith. That's the background. And then our text today begins with the word, therefore. He, here's how it starts. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we, or therefore, since we've been justified through faith. Ju justified is just a fancy word for that crediting process, for God giving us statement credit because of our faith in Jesus. 
Now, in the Bible, there are a variety of images used to help us understand that crediting process. And this word, justified or justification, uh, this, this word has a legal connotation. It refers to a legal declaration that changes one's status. So by God's grace and through faith in Jesus, God declares us legal declaration to be in proper relationship with him. Our church is a church that works uh, very hard to welcome to our city and our country refugees who are coming uh, to us from very difficult situations. Often they've uh, fled areas where there's war and they, they were not safe and have lived in a refugee camp for years and years. And we work hard to help them find a home and establish a new life in our city here. And, and we celebrate when one of those friends attains their citizenship, their, their citizens, uh, becoming a citizen of the United States. And, and part of that celebration is that we understand that they've attained a new legal status. They've been declared a citizen. And that has all sorts of positive implications for them as people. It opens up new doorways to them. They've been legally declared to be something. Their status has changed. That's what justification is. That's what being credited righteousness means. Therefore, since we, we who have trusted Christ, have been justified, notice the verb tense here. This is a past tense verb. We're back to this conversation about the tenses of salvation. And if, if this is a new idea to you, the Bible can say we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So you have to think about that a little bit. Otherwise, it might be a little confusing. This is the past tense of salvation. God, by his grace, through faith in Jesus, declaring us to be in proper relationship with him. Because we have been justified, because we have been saved, because we've been made right with God, because we've been granted the status of being in proper relationship with God. Because of all that, we are new people, says the Bible. Look at this from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When we return to God by faith in Jesus, we don't just get a new perspective or a new, a new spiritual outlook or, or a new religious belief. We become new people. We're made new completely. You look the same on the outside. But everything is so new on the inside that Jesus likened it to being born a second time, being born again. That's how new everything is. We become new people when we're credited that renewed and proper relationship with God. And as new people, we stand on new ground. We occupy a new space. This is what Paul unpacks in the, in the next part of the passage. Therefore, since we've been justified with uh, through faith, we have peace with God, have gained access into grace in which we now stand, boast in the hope of the glory of God, glory in our sufferings, have God's love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This new status of being credited a proper relationship with God means these things for us. You know, peace with God, uh, that we stand in grace, we have hope for the future, a new perspective on, on persecution and God's love in our hearts. We're new people and we stand on this new ground. You know, peace with God, that refers to much more than just an absence of conflict or, or a cozy feeling. It, 
uh, this is a, a shalom kind of peace where everything is whole and right. There's a settledness to our faith. Now, things are not settled in the world. There is not shalom in the world. We can see that very clearly. But in the midst of that, we can have a settled uh, faith that is completely at peace. A, a Psalm 46 kind of faith. If that psalm is new to you, I encourage you to go read it. We can have that kind of faith where we can say truthfully, it is well with my soul because I have peace with God. We have peace with God. We, we've gained access into grace and we stand in that grace, God's grace right now. We don't stand in a place of condemnation or, or of being judged or, or, or judging people according to human standards. We don't stand in a place of superiority. We stand in grace. You know, I, I don't know what the nature of your internal dialogue is, but my inner dialogue often wants to condemn me. I fight those messages all the time. And, and I just have to remind myself, I, I have access to God's grace. And I stand right now in grace. So go away, condemning voices. I don't believe you anymore. You know, we, we have peace with God. We stand in grace. We have hope for the future, hope of the glory of God. We'll talk more about that in a second. We have a new view of persecution because that's what the reference to suffering in this passage really refers to. It's not just suffering in general. It's, it's suffering uh, for being persecuted because of what you believe about God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that kind of suffering, says the apostle, produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because we've got God's love in our hearts. And it turns out that God is so great, he can make good out of even persecution and, and can use that also for the good and growth of his people. And, and we've got God's love in our hearts, the Apostle Paul says, because the Holy Spirit pours out God's love into our hearts. We have power from God to love other people in the same way that Jesus loved us, which, by the way, is epitomized in this passage we read. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus gave up everything for people who were his enemies. And when we've got God's love in our heart, we can begin to, begin to imagine doing the same. You know, giving of ourselves, giving ourselves up and over to not just our friends, but even people who are our enemies. We've got God's love in our hearts. We're, we're new people and we stand on new ground in, in Jesus. You know, we've got peace and grace and, and hope. Uh, we, we, we believe in God's goodness. We've got God's love in our hearts. I mean, this is the new place in which we stand because by grace and through faith, God has given us this renewed and proper relationship with him. See, those who trust Christ are credited the righteousness of Christ, that we become new people, we stand on new ground. But that's not the end of the story. There is much more to come, says the Apostle Paul. And that's how he concludes this passage. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We're back to the tenses of salvation 
now. And Paul is now pointing to the future tense. And what Paul is saying here at the end of the passage is, is, hey, the crediting part has happened. The past tense of salvation is done if you trust Jesus. You are living right now in a fully reconciled relationship with God and and you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling and you're enjoying the present tense of salvation, peace with God, standing in grace and, and all of that. You stand on new ground because of that new relationship. But, Paul says, think for a moment what all this means for your future. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You know, fast forward to that moment when you will die or when Jesus will come back because one of those things will happen. And don't just flirt with it in your mind as a distant improbability. Bring it right here as the full reality it is and hold it there and think about it. If when we were God's enemies, Christ did everything that he did for us, his life and death and resurrection, If if God did that for us in the person of Jesus while we were God's enemies, how much more will it bring great joy to God's heart to save us in the end from the presence of sin and all of our current struggles? You know, Jesus made this great comment, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. You know, at, at At some point in the not too distant future, it will be God's very great joy to save his friends from the presence of sin and all its implications. You know, in in the past tense of salvation, uh, God saves us from the penalty of sin. In the present tense of salvation, God saves us from the power of sin ruling over our lives. In the future tense of salvation, God shall save us from the presence of sin and all its implications. I mean, imagine life with no heartache or pain, no more grieving or crying or mourning or death. Uh, Imagine life with a new body that doesn't age or decay where your mind is sharp forever, no loss there at all. Uh, Imagine life with no temptation to do what you know to be wrong. A life where that that constant everyday struggle with sin is not present. Sometimes I wonder if we even have a sense of how much energy that takes in our lives. You know, Paul Paul envisions this future and, and wants us to embrace the same hope he has. If God did all these good things for us, including the cross, while we were his enemies, How much more shall we be saved through his life? Yes, Jesus died for us. But it is also true that Jesus lives for us right now. And he's pouring out his life, calling us into it. We're new people standing on new ground. And there is much, much more goodness from God to come. This indeed is good news. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we bless you and we find it difficult to conceive the extent of your goodness. While we were still your enemies, while we were at the height of our offensiveness to you, you chose to come and lay down your life for us for the sole purpose that you might be able to credit to our accounts all of that forgiveness and grace and, and the perfect righteousness of Christ that we might live now and forever in a relationship with you that is secure. God, thank you. We, we love you. Help us grow in that. Uh, help us understand the implications for our lives and, and what it means for our responsibility toward others in this world. Uh, help us, God. We love you. We bless you for your goodness. And we thank you that you've made us new people, given us new ground upon which to stand, and promised that there is much, much more goodness to come. Uh, we love you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.